This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. I want to encourage you today to strap on your seatbelt as we navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And what a Friday it is. I'm so grateful today that we're going to get a chance to talk to a guest who I think is one of the most insightful voices and uh, in, in Christianity today. So I'm really grateful for that. Before we get into our guests and our topic for today, I do want to remind you of the journey that we're on. As we kick off this year, I know everyone's setting goals. I'm back on my elliptical. Hopefully you are as well. Elliptical, treadmill, running, whatever you're doing. So hopefully you have some health goals. Some have some budgeting and financial goals. Those are all good as well. But hopefully you have some spiritual goals. And we want to help you with one of what I believe should be the top spiritual goal of many Christians, and that is memorizing Scripture. Now, when I say memorizing Scripture, a lot of us think back to when we were kids because that's when we are taught to memorize the books of the Bible or John 3.16 or maybe Psalms 1, and you have these memories, but as we get older, we often get away from Scripture memorization. But, man, there are so many blessings, so many benefits. And I want to say this. None of us feel like we have great memories. And so you might think that, man, I don't know if I can memorize Scripture. I want you to know you can, whether you are 80 or 8 or 18 or somewhere in between. Every one of us can memorize Scriptures. And Glenna Marshall has written a book that uh, this month is our gift to you for supporting the ministry here at Equip. It's called Memorizing Scripture, The Basics, blessings and benefits of meditating on God's word. I want to deliver it to you. I wish I could do it personally, but I need you to call 888-644-4144. Now, this book would normally retail at $15, just about $15 per book, but we want to make it broadly accessible. So your gift of any amount, the more generous you are, the more people we can bless with this book. Can you call today and join us as we start this journey? I'm going to be on it. Many of our listeners are going to be on it, already are, in memorizing Scripture. I want to encourage you throughout this month, if you could, call 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Well, many of us have uh, Muslim neighbors, coworkers, colleagues, and friends. And uh, as uh, Islam is becoming more prominent in the news again, having a resurgence to the forefront of our national and global conversations, it's also a reminder to us as Christians that the Lord has brought the world to our doorsteps. 
And uh, the fact is, is that there needs to be a commitment in our hearts to sharing the gospel with all people. But in particular today, I want to focus in on the Muslim people. How do we share faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, today, I want to have this discussion, and I got two groups of people in mind. First, those of you who, like I said, have uh, Muslim colleagues, neighbors, coworkers, and friends that you would love to see come to faith in Christ to understand the life-changing message of the gospel. I want to encourage you to give us a call today with your questions or even with your prayer requests for family, friends, and loved ones, 877-548-3675. That's 877-LIVE-675. But also I'm thinking about a second group, and that is those of you who are maybe raised in a proud Muslim family and came to faith in Christ yourself Now you're following Jesus, and you still carry in your heart the hopes of your family sharing in like precious faith as well to reach that community to help to shape you so much. I want to hear from you as well. 877-548-3675. What was it that caused you to follow Jesus? And, uh, and man, we'd love to hear your comments there. 877-548-3675. Today, it's all about understanding Islam and how to share our faith as Christians. My guest today is Abdu Murray. He is founder and president of Embrace the Truth. I would encourage you to follow that ministry that is really passionate about ask, answering people and the questions that people ask. Uh, Abdu is an apologist. He's a thoughtful leader. He's an author, a highly sought-after speaker as well. Abdu was raised in a uh, very proud Muslim family, but after a long journey of investigating the historical, philosophical, and scientific underpinnings of the major world religions, he ultimately came to discover that the historic Christian faith can be trusted both with our hearts and with our minds. He joins me today. Abdu, how are you, brother? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me back on, Chris, and uh, Happy New Year to you and, and your family. Yeah, talk a little bit about Embrace the Truth, what's going on there, and the heart and mission of the ministry. Yeah, so the, the Embrace the Truth is uh, an apologetics evangelism ministry um, where our, our mission stated is to offer the credibility of the gospel to every questioner, we encounter. And we're very specific about that because even as you had said before, what we're interested in doing is answering questioners, not answering questions. We want to answer Mm -hmm. people, not questions, because the questions don't need answers in and of themselves, but people do. And they use those questions to get them. So uh, we've been, uh, we just finished up a tremendous year of ministry in uh, all kinds of places at churches and at conferences, but uh, our heartbeat is really evangelism. So we spent time last year at eight different universities um, and looking forward to more uh, university work in 2024, uh, tackling the tough topics that come as the cultural trends emerge and uh, minds and hearts are, are, are fixed on hope and the need for hope in turbulent times. So um, we got a great year ahead of us planned. Uh, the schedule is filling up, uh, but if folks want to know more, they can go to embracethetruth.org. I was a financial advisor when 9-11 happened, and I want to go back to that time in our national history for, for a reason. I want to connect it to today's topic. You know, there are certain things that uh, you expect after a event like that and then certain things that surprise you. I expected that many would fill churches, and many did, looking for answers to the big questions of life. 
in particular, what happens after I die? Is there hope? Is God good? And so I just remember being in ministry during that time uh, Mm -hmm. as well. But what surprised me was the resurgence of or the emergence of the popularity of Islam, in particular in our universities. And uh, looking at what's happening now, post-October 7th and all that's happened in the Middle East and mm-hmm. and in the Holy Land. Talk about what you're encountering as you interact with university students on university campuses as it pertains to Islam. What do Christians need to understand about what's happening in our university settings? Yeah, there's so much there, and it's so much that really to talk about is uh, when I go to universities, and whether it's a Christian asking me or a non-Christian, uh, especially including Muslims, um, <clears throat> a lot of it has to do with the fundamental truth of the Christian faith, but a lot of it has to do with the history of the Christian faith, because a lot of the resurgence and a lot of the things that we're thinking about now, especially in what have uh, seemed to be surprising ways since October 7th, um, is yes, there is, uh, there's a polarization that's happening. And I don't mean a polarization in terms of just the anger people feel as they align themselves with one side or the other, so to speak, but even a polarization of the ideas. What is going on behind the scenes with regard to uh, Islam? How does it um, in, uh, evolve itself and, and manifest itself politically? What about Christianity? Isn't that just as political as Islam actually is? All these are the big questions now. Um, so we do find uh, people who are asking questions about the fundamentals of, uh, of the Islamic faith and uh, what um, accounts for sort of the uh, the militancy in certain Muslims uh, and otherwise. Uh, is there something behind this? But also we're ask- people are asking questions on the other side too, and they're saying, well, hold on, this political, this political aspect of Islam, isn't this about liberation of oppressed peoples? Mm, and mm. so you see that the questions are moving away from uh, just asking the basis for and the credibility of a particular worldview, and now they're actually asking the political application of it, especially in a culture around the world, really, which has become sort of enamored of the idea that um, minority religious positions or or re- minority ethnic positions um, uh, have political uh, views to them. And so the, polit- the political is becoming even more important or more urgent yes. than the theological. Yeah, I, I think it's really important for us to understand that didn't happen in a vacuum at all. Uh, the advancement of critical theory has uh, really been well documented, and uh, it is really, for to, to use a technical term and then define it, critical theory is really this thought that there are two types of groups in every society, the mm-hmm. oppressed and the oppressor, right? Mm-hmm. And everything, if you're part of that group, everything you do if you're an oppressor is wrong by mm-hmm. definition, and if you're oppressed, everything you do is right, justified, and redeemed, redeemable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and once you take that framework and you lay it over top of any uh, discussion of groups, uh, mm-hmm. you now have a really simplified a way of trying to determine what is moral, what is immoral. The problem of that is that we are way more nuanced than that, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it discounts the reality of the individual the choices that we have. Now, the gospel to me, Abdu, seems to balance out my individualism and me being a part of a group. Talk about the, that as important. I, I don't think the gospel ignores them a part of a group. 
It certainly talks about Jews and Gentiles, but it also holds me personally accountable. So just because I'm a part of a group doesn't bring me justification and, uh, and, and therefore make me right in the eyes of God. Yeah, absolutely. And this really speaks to, I think, uh, the, the overall applicability of the gospel message overlaid across culture and across centuries. As I've often said, the Bible has a passport that's stamped not just with locations, but also with time. Um, it, it, the Bible speaks eternally contemporary to sort of paraphrase Leslie Newbigin. Um, and this goes to that individuality and that corporate issue as well, that communal issue as well. We think of the gospel message. Um, it is not a, um, uh, an, uh, an import from the Roman Empire or from uh, European uh, uh, ideas that eventually translate themselves into American, you know, in uh, uh, radical individualism. Now it applies to all those, but it's not based in all those. It's actually based in a serious, serious Middle Eastern communalism, uh, an honor and shame culture where morality is just as important there as anywhere else, but how it's enforced is more communal. Uh, so that um, I do that which is honorable in the eyes of the community, and I avoid that which is shameful in the eyes of the community. And that can have great benefits because it applies, you think of others before you think of yourself necessarily. Yes. Um, yes. Of course, it has its shadow side, and its shadow side is that you can seek whatever is honorable, even if it's not true, because the culture thinks it's honorable. Or you can avoid things that are true because the culture might think that that truth thing is shameful. So it has its shadow side, just like the individuality of uh, the West has its pluses and its, its, its uh, innovation and its encouragement for uh, uh, pioneering and these kind of things, but also has its shadow side is that we tend to be extremely individualistic and maybe even egotistic in some, in some ways. Yeah. The gospel has this way of bridging both, is that Jesus talked about people's communal issues and uh, in communal ways, um, and he challenged the authorities when he needed to, and he brought the, the, the people back to a communal sense of that which is right and wrong and that which brings honor and shame. But the gospel also speaks individually to every single person. And I think of the Psalms where the, the psalmist David talks about the idea of shame and communal shame and the sins that beset us that can create the sense of shame. But the Lord also rescues us from that. And so we go from a honor and shame culture, which is Middle Eastern, into an innocence guilt culture, which is Western to a degree. And the Psalms, as one example, talk about it, the same Psalm about how the Lord um, recognizes our guilt, but takes on um, those things that um, would remove that guilt from us so that we have personal sort of redemption, but that communal shame is also removed because we as a, as a people can actually have that sense of um, yeah. uh, redemption as a people. So it, it, it gives us, it gives value to both individualism and the corporate. Um, and I think in our current cult, uh, cultural climate, we need to recognize the nuance, as you pointed out, so important, the nuance of valuing both. Because today, nuance is, pu is punished, unfortunately. We need to get a resurgence of valuing that nuance once again. How would Abdu Murray uh, recommend we begin in our thinking about uh, sharing our faith with our Muslim neighbors, coworkers, colleagues. We're going to talk about that and so much more on the other side of this break. Maybe you want to learn more about Embrace the Truth or Abdu Murray. You could do so at our website, equipradio.org. And I want to hear from you today as well. What are your questions? How can we pray for you and those that you're trying to reach with the gospel? What a joy it is to have Abdu Murray with us. The phone number to join the conversation 
877-LIVE-675. Give us a call, 877-548-3675. This daily program is fully devoted to coming alongside listeners like you to give you the tools needed for a successful walk with God. As one of our loyal listeners, would you be willing to become an equipper? Your monthly contribution will be applied to equipping others all across the country. Plus, as an equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. To become an equipper now, call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. When I say the word Muslim, what comes to your mind? How should Christians think about Islam? I want to hear from you, 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Abdu Murray is my guest today, founder of Embrace the Truth. You can find out more about Embrace the Truth, this wonderful apologetic evangelism ministry by going to our website, equipradio.org. Um, Abdu, I don't say those questions just to be provocative, but I do think there are certain things that come to mind, uh, all of our minds, when I say the word Muslim or when uh, Christians hear the word Islam. There's certain things that come to mind, and I want to hear from people about how they think of, uh, when they hear these words at 877-548-3675. But before we go to the phone lines, I'd love for you just for a moment, if you had a room full of Christians mm-hmm. who uh, you get you had the opportunity to talk to, where would you tell us to start in our thinkings mm. about how to share our faith effectively? Well, I think uh, with, with pertaining to Muslims uh, in specific, but really to anybody in general, uh, I would start to think of them first and foremost, before you think of their ideology, before you think of their religion, before you think of their politics, whatever it is, you think of them in terms of Genesis one twenty-seven. The first thing you think about them is they're made in God's image. Every single person who's ever been created has been made in God's image. And that means they have inherent and immeasurable value. Um, and it's not based on our opinion of them or even what they do to themselves. They cannot remove that image. Now, we can mar it as we, as we have, and we can taint it, but we can't remove it. That's, that, that statement of value is given by God, not by us. So it's the first thing I would say is that whoever you're thinking of, think of them that way. Now, no, now whatever comes from their mouth or whatever actions they've, they've endorsed, <clears throat> you have to think of them that way because they can be, in fact, redeemed. If Paul can be, uh, turned into somebody who was imprisoning the the, the followers of Christ um, and seeking to persecute those who followed the way, then anybody can be redeemed if he can be redeemed. And I've seen it over and over again. Um, <clears throat> I think that's the first thing I would say is to think of them that way. Second thing I would do is to offer them the opportunity to listen. Questions are a great way to find out what someone really believes, because every Muslim and every person for that matter, but every Muslim in specific, we tend to think of them monolithically. Um, and we know just by the fact that there are Shia and Sunnis, that there are, there are sects and denominations with, even within those two main splits of Islam uh, that have 
somewhat different beliefs, largely uniform, but somewhat different. We tend to think of them as a monolith in terms of their, not only their beliefs, but also their commitment to those beliefs. And the reality is many, many Muslims are Muslim in name only. They're cultural Muslims. They've never read more, more of the Quran than the first three or four things that they were told to memorize when they were a kid. Um, and they couldn't tell you chapter and verse of anything in that book. Uh, but it's a big part of their identity. So don't assume something about the Muslim you're talking to. Ask questions about their faith, their level of faith, the history of their faith. Uh, even if they have any faith at all, you'd be surprised what might come. There are many people, for example, who would call themselves Muslims and mean it, but deep inside they're actually quite agnostic, um, not just about their faith, but about God's existence generally. And so listening to what's going on in them and, and going on, through them gives you an opportunity to really understand a person and then speak to their issues directly and speak in a way that isn't just tailored to the book I read about Islam, but this, you can use that stuff and that's great, but it's how do I actually speak to this particular person um, in light of what they're going through and what they're thinking about? Because every person is different and individual. So I would say those are the top things yeah, I would say to anybody who's considering this. Now, what would you say to the person who says, well, isn't Christianity and Islam basically the same? Aren't we, at the end of the day, worshiping the same God, just mm. seeing maybe that God through different lenses? Yeah. So I, the, to that, I would say a couple of things. And again, bringing in my, my love of nuance, um, often I get the question, uh, do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? And my answer to that is based on, it, it goes like this. Oftentimes the answer people wanna hear is no, absolutely not, they're completely different. Um, and I understand that, but if I were to sit there and talk about God to with an atheist, about whether or not God exists, we're debating the existence of the same being if we get our terms right. So if I were to say to a Muslim, you believe that there is one God, and they'd say yes, that that God was never created, he always existed, yes, he knows everything, he's all powerful, he's omnipresent. Yes, he's merciful and loving and all these things. Yep, so far, so good. So we have a common basis upon which to talk about God. So what I would say is that when we discuss what God is like with a Muslim, I'd say that the answer to that is we are discussing the existence of and the character of the one and only creator of all of existence uh, in terms of uh, outside of himself. Um, and so we would say that's the same being. And I would say, yeah, that's right. But now the question becomes when we worship the same God, because I worship a God who is triune and I worship him because he's triune. I worship a God who is incarnational and I worship him because he's incarnational and self-sacrificial and unconditionally loving. Those are the reasons I worship him. Every one of those things is not true in Islam. So a Muslim would say, I would never worship a God who is triune or, you know, incarnational or whatever. Those things are blasphemies. So the question becomes, are we saying we're worshiping the same God? Well, the answer is we're not worshiping God the same way. That's for sure. And one of yes. us is right and one of us is wrong. Um, <clears throat> but when we're talking about that God, yes. yes. The reason I say it that way is because oftentimes Muslims who would trace their lineage of faith back to Abraham or even back to Adam would say, we worship, because of the Quran specifically says so, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, and Jacob which of yes. course rings true to uh, Christians as well. And they'd say, when you say we're worshiping different gods, are you accusing us of being pagans? Like we believe in Artemis or Zeus sure, or sure, you know, Zoroaster sure. or something like that. So it creates a wall. 
but we have to get to the truth yes. is that they're not the same because of the fundamentals that's, that's really of, good. yeah the fundamentals of the christian faith that make the christian faith unique are the very things that islam actually rejects so they can't not possibly yes. be the same let's go to david in west chicago hey david thank you for listening what's your question for abdu well um i gotta make uh, point out three different facts if please correct me if i'm wrong before i ask my question um mm-hmm. first of all um, Abraham is the father of all religions, of most religions, I guess. Uh, second is his two children are um, Jacob became the father of Christianity, which became Christianity or the Jewish faith, and Ishmael is the father of the Muslim faith. Now I see all these signs saying from the river to the sea, uh, which has been um, all the Muslims are saying. Uh, that they should own all the river to the sea. Now that was given to both children, so they uh, God's prophecy was fulfilled that it's both the Jewish and the Muslim faith have that land. So why are they still fighting? Can't they accept that they're both from uh, Abraham? There's a yeah, lot. There's a lot yeah. there, uh, David. First off, thank you for y- your your question. Mm-hmm. Abdu, we we only have a minute before a break, so you can start answering if you want, and then we can carry this over after yeah. the break. But why don't you begin to respond to David? Yeah. So a couple of things, David. Thanks for your question, and I appreciate the heart with which it's asked. Um, so let me start in this a few seconds we have remaining, with just with the first part. Um, uh, it is claimed by some that Abraham is the father of all religions, which means that people will claim Abraham to be the progenitor of their religion, and um, because it's monotheistic and uh, Islam traces its roots. Um, and will claim to trace its roots back to Abraham or even further than that. Um, But the reality is the question you have to ask yourself is, when you look at what Abraham actually believed and what he taught, can you make the claim that Islam is a natural extension of that? I think that's problematic. Um, But the issue isn't the religious lineage, it's the ethnic lineage, because that goes back to the Isaac and Ishmael thing. And there's more to talk about about that. So I think we we should maybe discuss that a little bit more. It should be noted that among the many books Abdu Murray has written and contributed to, one of his first, Apocalypse Later, helps to address what's happening in the Middle East through the lens of the gospel, the life, the death, the burial, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus Christ. I highly encourage you to find out more. Go to our website, equipradio.org. When I say the word Muslim, what comes to mind? When we think of Islam as Christians, what comes to mind? I want to hear from you at 877-548-3675. Much more to come next up on Equip. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip. Thanks for your support. Your generosity and God's grace is what enables us to be here every day. Let's make today a Giving Friday an opportunity for you to invest in the advancement of the gospel in your community and literally around the world. That's the reach of this program because of your partnership in the gospel. Today, can you call 888-644-4144 and give your most generous tax-deductible gift, 888-644-4144, or become a monthly partner most folks do that at a dollar a day, $30 a month, and you know every month that you are investing in spreading the good news of God's grace and his salvation is found in Christ alone. 
Again, the number, 888-644-4144. And this month, when you support the program, we're going to send you the book, Memorizing Scripture, the Basics, the Blessings, and the Benefits of Meditating on God's Word by Glennon Marshall. It's a book I'm uh, encouraging you to get so that we can take this journey together of uh, memorizing God's Word. So, Please call that number, 888-644-4144, or go to our website, equippedradio.org. If you could sit across from a Muslim and ask them any question, what would it be? I think it's important for Christians to think about that. I'd love to hear what your question would be at 877-548-3675. Abdu Murray is with us. Uh, we were responding to a question by David. David is a listener in uh, West Chicago. So appreciate you, David. And uh, the question that you ask, if Abraham is the father of Islam and the father of uh, the Jewish religion, why are they still fighting? Yeah. Uh, and uh, this goes back to also there's a reality that um, no fighting is more fierce than the fighting between brothers um, mm. oftentimes. And I would say that's ethnically the case here. Now, one of the things that's important to point out is that um, uh, obviously as a Christian, I don't necessarily I don't agree that Abraham is the father of Islam. Um, rather, what I think is the case is that a lot of Muslims will trace the, the lineage of Arabs back to Ishmael. And the reason they do that is because Ishmael being um, uh, the son of uh, Hajar or the uh, Egyptian Hagar and, um, and Abraham is that she is, the fa- she is essentially the progenitor of and then Ishmael will be the progenitor of all the Arabs. And of mm-hmm. course, Muhammad becomes uh, the prophet Muhammad becomes a legitimized prophet because his lineage goes back to Abraham. So that's what that's all about. The real issue is the ethnicity. This is important, I think, because this creates a bridge for us to be able to speak to uh, Muslims who uh, might be thinking about things in the Middle East right now and where is the solution and Christianity seems to offer none. The reality is it goes all the way back to the depths of Genesis as well. In Genesis chapter 21, um, you see something remarkable is that uh, Hajar, after Ishmael is born and after Isaac is born, there's enmity between Hajar and Sarah between the father, the, the, between the, sorry, the, the mother of all Arabs and the mother of all Hebrews. There is enmity there. And Sarah kicks her out and she leaves. And Abraham essentially gives sanction to this. And she's out in the desert and she is despairing because her son's going to die and they're going to die of thirst in the wilderness and all this. Interestingly enough, in that account between chapters, between um, uh, verses 15 to 21 of Genesis 21, God comes to Hajar and says, I have heard the boy. In other words, I have heard the affliction of this boy, the, the, the father of all Arabs, essentially, or the Egyptians. And he provides a respite for them and prophesies that I told you he would be a great nation, meaning the Arabs. And he provides comfort to Hajar and her son Ishmael. Um, that's interesting because when the Egyptian woman is under the oppression of the mother of all Hebrews, God hears her. Hundreds of years later, when the Egyptians have the upper hand and are now subjugating the Hebrews, God says to Moses, I have heard 
the affliction of my people in Egypt. In other words, mm. no matter who seems to have the power or who's being oppressed, God loves them equally and wants them to come to a sense of liberation and redemption. And all of that points to a cross that provides that for all of us. So it's not about land. It's not about from the river to the sea. And I, I understand all of the political and the social issues wrapped up in that. But if I were to say from a gospel perspective, what I care about the most is seeing that Ephesians chapter two, that he is through him, he has created, he has made the two into one new man and removed the dividing wall of hostility so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth, as Jesus tells a Samaritan woman. Ultimately, here's my, my, my takeaway. It's not the prophecy um, about the destruction of uh, Israel's enemies and all this. It's this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19, verses 23 to 25. Um, and I'll just go right to the last verse in 24 and 25. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, Israel's ancestral enemies, a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Where does that unified family come from? It comes from Christ, not from political processes and policies. Those are important, but ultimately we recognize it's the Lord who reconciles people through his son. So Egypt, Assyria, and Israel will all be united together in a time of peace. And that is the blessed hope we have. I appreciate such a thoughtful answer. And David, I do want to encourage you, find out more about Embrace the Truth. Uh, I think it's going to be helpful for you, helpful for all of our listeners. Abdu does such a great job. I mean, obviously, in this context, these answers are abbreviated, though thoughtful. But uh, on the Embrace the Truth platform, he's able to unpack these things in a much more extensive way. So go to our website, find out more at equipradio.org. That's equippedradio.org. And David, I hope and I encourage you to continue to ask these questions. You know, part of what I think Christianity needs to do, Abdu, is to create environments in which David and others can ask their questions mm. uh, because we, we carry these things around. And, you know, the psalmist says in Psalm 13, when I took counsel within myself, I was brought to despair. Mm. So this tells me that whenever we're just answering these tough questions by taking counsel within ourselves, and we don't use that terminology as much today, but this really is the thought of trying to be the source of our own truth, it brings us to despair. Mm. But yeah. when we look beyond ourselves to God, as the psalmist ultimately discovered, we find real hope, real answers, and, and I'm grateful for that. You know, as you were giving uh, an answer to David's question, to David, um, uh, for his question, I, I thought of uh, what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, and he says, that yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, in this whole book, Paul is dealing with the question, are we justified by our ethnicity? Mm -hmm. And it seems like that still is the persistent question today. Is justification, Abdu Murray, mm -hmm. found in our ethnicity? 
Yeah, and this is uh, such a pinnacle question because this is a question that's asked universally. Right now we're seeing the most um, prominent iteration of it in the coverage of what's happening uh, in the Middle East and, of course, all the protests that are happening at college campuses and these kind of things on a free Palestine and all this stuff. Um, and uh, the answer, I would say, and I've written about this in my other book, uh, More Than a White Man's Religion, is that what the, what, what the, the, the Bible tells me is that ethnicity is expressive, but it's not definitional. In other words, when Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman, for example, in John chapter four, there's already an ethnic tension because the Bible sets it up is that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's religious tension there. There's ethnic tension and all this. And what he says to her is that it's neither in the temple in Jerusalem nor on this mountain where the Samaritans uh, worship that you will worship the father, but rather God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, not in pigmentation and geographical location or the foods you eat. Um, that's not the definition. So what Jesus does for her and for so many others who are even outside the fold of those who are Jews eth ethnically is he says, your ethnicity is an important expression of who you are, but the image of God is the definition of what you are. And what I, I fear now with the um, sort of I idolizing and idolatry around ethnicity and race is that we've made these things more definitional than they ought to be. They're important, and we're not going to be gray in heaven, that every, every nation, tribe, and tongue will cast our crowns uh, before the Lord and will be wonderfully diverse and the beautiful mosaic of, of eternity will be there and it won't be gray we won't be all, all be like blanched of our of our color or our ethnicities rather we'll recognize what they really are is there are wonderful expressions of god's artistry and poetry in us but they're not definitional it's that mm. image of god that jesus has restored for us that's what's definitional and so we need yes. to recognize that which makes the oppressed oppressor thing more of a, a reality not just a um, a, a badge to wear because that's becoming definitional too. And the Bible is yes. obsessed with justice and freedom for the oppressed, but it doesn't make it the definitional thing. We have that freedom because of the defining characteristic of us being made in God's image. I want to take a break as we get ready to go to break. I think about the cross of Christ. Mm -hmm. This is the, uh, the door hinge upon which Christianity swings, if you will. But yet, um, even scripture refers to the cross as carrying much shame. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we help Muslims to embrace the cross? in spite of the shame associated with it. It's Jesus, if Jesus is truly the son of God as he claimed to be, how could he endure such shame? We're gonna ask Abdu Murray that question and so much more on the other side of this break. Friends, find out more about our ministry, support as well, and learn about Embrace the Truth by going to equipradio.org. We'll be right back. 
Knowing the Bible is essential for a vibrant life in Christ. I want to equip you to live each day grounded in God's Word. That's why I've chosen the book Memorizing Scripture by Glenna Marshall as our impact gift this month. Discover memorization techniques that work for you and learn how to truly meditate on God's Word every day. This book can be yours with a gift of any amount. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit us at equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Grateful to have Abdu Murray. I'm grateful for each one of you for listening in. Let me just encourage you, get in church on Sunday if you've not already made plans to do so. It's so important that we have a regular diet of biblical teaching and community with the, uh, other believers as we celebrate the goodness of God's grace and as we meditate deeply, not just sentimentally, but deeply on the things that he has said the Bible is a self-revelation of God. And so the best thing we can do is to delve deeply into his words so that we can see clearly the face of Jesus and so that we can share with clarity the message of the gospel. So I encourage you, get in the local church, lift up the name of God this weekend. Abdu Murray is my guest. Abdu, I talked about uh, the shame of the cross, and I would imagine that for many Muslims, that seems to be a hurdle too great to jump in belief in Jesus Christ. So how have you reconciled that in your understanding and in your dealings with Muslims? Yeah, and this is uh, something that uh, is near and dear to me because that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks I had was, you know, Muslims often, we, we, can, we can hear them say this, we hear it in the media all the time, and it's usually in an unfortunate context, but Muslims say Allahu Akbar all the time. And that phrase has a name. It's so important that it actually has a name. It's called takbir. And that name uh, or that phrase means God is greater. So for the Muslim, God is the greatest possible being. There can be no being greater than God. And so anything that's, that seeks to diminish that greatness or suggests the diminishment of that greatness is blasphemous to a Muslim and therefore should be rejected as shameful. The cross is one of those things that I struggled with uh, on this score until I realized something, that the very thing I was thinking about, God's eternal and unmatched greatness, is the thing that the cross actually demonstrates, not denigrates. Um, when you think about it this way, uh, the common Muslim uh, statement for or belief is that uh, Jesus did not die on a cross, that he was um, uh, raised to heaven uh, to escape it, and that either Judas Iscariot was made to look like Jesus as punishment for his betrayal, or one of the disciples, one of the Islamic uh, his, uh, uh, sources says that one of his disciples voluntarily took on Jesus's likeness to take his place on that cross so that Jesus could, ex could, could escape death. In either instance, you'll notice something, that the Islamic narrative says that someone took Jesus's place, which is the exact opposite of the Christian gospel, which is that Jesus took our place, our rightful place on that cross. <clears throat> The reason Muslims want to say this is because they'd want to have Jesus as a prophet and then God himself as the greatest being uh, avoid the ignominy and the shame of being killed at the hands of sinners. Um, now, that's interesting because God, in, essentially, in essence, finds a scheme to get out of the issue and not deal with suffering, sacrifice, and pain. And that's more of a, of, a, of, a, of a way out of the situation. Rather, the Christian gospel says that God didn't find a way out of the situation. God found a way through the situation and didn't 
run from or didn't have his his beloved one uh, run from this pain and this suffering, but rather use it, turn it on it, turn it on its head for the sake of the whole world. And that's when I realized something so important is that it's not a matter of shame. Uh, the cross is not um, a, a symbol of God's shame. It's a symbol of ours, uh, that God um, scorns the shame. He takes on the, sh- the, the forsakenness for us. God the Son takes on that, and so he pays the debt to God the Father, and the Holy Spirit reminds us of this because of God's tremendous love and his strength and his power over sin, death, hell, and the grave. So what we have in the cross is what I was looking for in Islam. You know, if God is the greatest possible being, which Muslims believe, then he would express the greatest possible ethic, which is love, and he would do it in the greatest possible way. And the greatest possible way to express love that we human beings can possibly fathom is self-sacrifice. We do it all the time, but we do it for those who love us back and maybe for a stranger, but usually we do it for those who love us back. We never do it for our enemies. We don't do it for those who hate us. But God's love ought to be at least as good as ours if he's the greatest possible being. And in fact, it would be greater than ours. And so what's the greatest way to express love? Self-sacrifice. Does God do that on the cross? The answer is yes. That's exactly what he does, is that he pays the debt of sin so that we don't have to. Because it must be paid. It can't just be brushed over. But it is paid. And that's his tremendous love. And what is so great about that is that What Romans chapter 5, verse 8, my life verse basically says is that while we were yet sinners, not God's friends, not those who love God, but those who hate God, Christ died for us. Our sacrifice is done for those who love us. God's sacrifice is done for those who hate him to turn them into those who love him. And that to me is not a matter of uh, God being denigrated in his greatness. It is the very demonstration of of his greatness. So that which Muslims seek to, 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 to understand and seek to worship, a God who is truly great, I think he's found in no place else other than the, 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 the message of, uh, of a cross and an empty tomb. And so it's not a matter of, is it a shameful thing? When you yeah. understand in its proper context, it's a glorious thing. It's a strength thing. It's a thing about God's spirit and his character. And that's a God worth embracing. I think that, uh, man, what a powerful presentation of the gospel. Uh, I want to end, and we got about a minute, by talking about our disposition. Um, I think that when we read the words of 1 Peter, that we are to set aside Christ in our hearts and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. He tells us to do it with meekness and gentleness. Mm. Talk about why it's important for us to remember those qualities as we try to make our arguments. Yeah, they're forgotten qualities, especially now in the polarized world where everything is a matter of combat and everything is a matter of a gladiatorial exchange and see who wins and who can crush the other person. Uh, Jesus didn't crush people. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear either. He told them what they needed to hear, but he did it in a loving way and then he served us uh, as he said he would. I think this disposition is so important because we can be so quick to want to win the argument that we lose the person. And if that had happened to me, I ran into some Christians like that, but the beauty of my story is not that my intellectual journey, it's it's the people God sent my way who listened, who cared, who wanted to know what I thought and gave me a gentle answer, no less compromised on its truth, but gentle in its delivery. And it worked and it made me into the believer that I am today. 
Abdu Murray, uh, you're off the hot seat, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for the work that you're doing and embrace the truth. I can't encourage people enough to go to the website, follow on social media. You're always producing great content uh, that helps us as Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend our faith. So thank you for joining me today. Great to be here. Friends, go to our website, find out about Embrace the Truth. We have links there. Go now. Abdu's most recent book, Mortar and a White Man's Religion. I love that book. It's a powerful book. I would encourage you to find out more about that as well. It's a Giving Friday, so if we've been a blessing to you, can you support the program at equipradio.org. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.